2017 Breaking Cape Table with Boudreaux and Barry. Barry, do you know what we are that I'm proud to say that we are, besides a lot of things? But Barry, we are official Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame voters. What? Aren't you proud of getting that ballot, Barry? I because, def- yeah. because not everybody is a Hall of Fame-worthy uh, voter. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there, Barry. Anyway, <laughs> on this particular episode, Breaking KP with Veteran and Barry. Oh, Barry, we are going into a part of I'm – I'm almost going to say – as a matter of fact, I am going to say, Barry, a dark side of the ring story. Oh, I've never heard that used before, Barry. Have you? Wow, no. This will yeah, be exciting. I, I'm nothing if not original, Barry. Because we are going to be looking at our match of the week at a incident that mm, some people say may have turned into a shoot. Some people insist it was a work shoot. Whatever. It's a good talking story. And Barry is extremely happy because in the fine, fine history of this Peabody and Sherman award-winning podcast, it is the shortest match in the history of this podcast. Barry, I know you're all in. I I. I am all in 100% on this one, Jeff. Yes, we are going to January 4th, 1999. It is Naoya Ogawa versus Shinya Hashimoto in the fucking Tokyo Dome. And the shit just breaks down. Besides all that, oh, Barry, we, we are going to be... I'm not even going to say do We have so much on the plate today. Wow. Just going to get started. Before we get to the match of the week. And it is a really fun match because there's lots to talk about, lots of moving parts. Let's get to a couple of other things. All right. Barry, you're Mr. CWF archivist, aren't you? And not historian. Archivist, correct? That's what they say, yes. Yes, and I reached out to you recently, and I said, after looking at a card, I believe it was 1981, I said, Barry, who the fuck is Wolf Savage? Please tell the good folks, in the laurels and annals, of CWF, who was Wolf Savage? Yeah, so it was actually, it was Whisker Savage, and he was sometimes called Wolfman, but it was Whiskers, and it was Lou Graham, and Eddie had this thing where uh, he wouldn't bring in Luke Graham to ever work in CWF, didn't want the connection of being, you know, quote-unquote, one of his brothers. Same with Dr. Jerry. Dr. Jerry, I think, was here late 50s or early 60s. We never saw him again. And I I remember when they brought in superstar Billy Graham, which was late 76, and Eddie never acknowledged it. And Mike acknowledged it once that I recall on a local promo for Fort Lauderdale. And this would have been, I guess, probably in early 77. And I remember Mike saying, you're a big guy, uh, Billy Graham. You know, you're my uncle. He, He actually referred to him as his uncle, but said it doesn't matter how big you are when you're on the mat because your wrist is the same size of every other wrist I've ever broken. And I just that always stuck with me that I liked that. But Eddie was really funny about not acknowledging, you know, the kayfabe brothers and stuff like that. And Luke Graham had been in Florida in 1970 or 70, 70, and he came in as El Lobo, guy working underneath the mask, got unmasked, and then they called him James Wolf, which Lobo Wolf, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So, a little, you know, on the surface, a little odd. Not a lot of people knew who he was, though. I got to tell you, because even with crazy Luke Graham, when he was here as Whisker Savage or Wolfman Savage, he had dyed his hair this kind of 
brownish color, tan brown. So he didn't have that shocking white or bleach blonde that we were so used to seeing. Not a lot of people really knew who he was. Mm. So, yeah. I, and of course, I've, I believe I've said it before that uh, Luke Graham, uh, when I first started getting the magazines on the old newsstand, he and Tarzan Tyler, your WWWF World Tag Team Champions. So, but... Let's get on to the next thing, Barry. I have just returned from a fine, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this term, Barry, vacation. Are you familiar with vacation? <laughs> yeah, anyway. a little, yeah, yeah just a little. Uh, opinions vary, of course. Yeah. Uh, the lovely Mrs. Bowder Knight making the trek up to South Bend, Indiana for the Notre Dame Georgia Tech game. Don't know if you know, Barry, Notre Dame 55, Georgia Tech zero. Wonderful game, but here's the reason I bring this up. No, not to throw it in people's face, but Every single time we have driven up and we end up taking the route through Chattanooga and Nashville on the way up. Every single time we've gone uh, to the Midwest, whether it be to Chicago, St. Louis to visit our friends, whatever, that trek between Chattanooga and Nashville must know the Bowdrens are coming because we get horrible, horrible weather. This time, Barry, we're driving and, uh, you know, I'm talking interstate here. And uh, we start noticing, not just like that leaves are blowing. I mean, leaves are fucking blowing Barry it looks like they've taken about 16 trees and they've just hung the trees over the highway and all the fucking leaves from the trees are blowing right onto our car and Mrs. Bowdrin actually offering the commentary that she believes it was attempting to have a tornado being formed or at least you oh. know I'm not talking about a cat five or whatever they call it but you know it, it was a a pretty uh, significant wind event. And so naturally we're driving in the smallest possible car the Bowdrens have access to. I at one point feel the car literally being moved to one side. It's like I moved wow. a couple of feet and I'm driving and you know, I may have been speeding. I don't know. But uh, I was like, oh, oh, holy shit. Did you feel that one? And Mrs. Bowdrin uh, was like, uh, you know, grabbing hold of the uh, the handle above the door uh, to hang on for dear life. So significant wind event. Yeah. Lots of fun driving uh, in what may or may not have been a, uh, a tornadic activity. So then we go up to uh, Notre Dame, had a great time. Very wind chill on game day, around 21 degrees. Ooh. It was a mite bit chilly. Mrs. Bowdrens fortunately had bought hand warmers to go. We had the gloves. We had the winter coats on. Uh, I, I was wearing the uh, the toque, if you will, for our Canadian listeners. And uh, so then, of course, Mrs. Bowdrens had purchased the hand warmers and Mrs. Bowdrens <clears throat> left the hand warmers in the car, Barry. Ah, so we did not have access to the hand warmers. Nearly froze our asses off. Thank God it was victorious because if we had lost and my hands had frozen, I would have really been pretty upset. I did want to make mention of a couple things that I thought you, Mr. Barry Rose, would find interesting. So, of course, you know, you at the football game, you got the PA announcer, and he's making all the announcements. Uh, we'd like to introduce uh, on behalf of the Notre Dame faculty, uh, you know, and they do all these little announcements. Well, so it's time at halftime for the Notre Dame band to perform, okay? And uh, Notre Dame band, by the way, has been in existence, I don't know, like 647 years. It's a, like, really old established band. But they're getting ready to perform, and apparently they are doing uh, songs of ABBA, okay? I know, uh, Barry, big ABBA fan, are you? I like ABBA, though. Yeah, you know, I got no problem with ABBA. Yeah, okay? exactly. But the part of this that intrigued me somewhat is that as he's getting ready to introduce the songs they're playing, I mean, it's like uh, uh, Waterloo and uh, maybe uh, Dancing Queen or something, okay? But the way he introduces, and now uh, to perform for you, the Notre Dame band will be presenting <laughs> songs, this is a quote, Barry, by the rock group ABBA. 
And I, I turned to Mrs. Bowden and I said, the rock group ABBA? In what universe is ABBA thought of as a rock group, Barry? Yeah, it, I don't think in any universe uh, ABBA's thought of. That's awesome, though. I mean, the truth is ABBA's fun music, though, but they're oh, not a yeah. rock band. Yeah, yeah no they're question. a pop band, aren't they? So then the other part, now this part, you will really enjoy, Mr. Barry Rose. So, of course, uh, naturally, uh, commercial breaks. The, the PA starts piping in the music, okay? You got all your different types of selection. Notre Dame, conservative Catholic University, Barry, during one of the commercial breaks, popping in a little Blitzkrieg bop. Yeah, the Ramones are playing at Notre Dame, Barry. Yeah, and you actually texted me you were so excited about that. that they I were said, this is something Barry Rose can, by God, get behind. Yes. Yes. So anyway, next, folks. So it was a very fun trip. Uh, you know, I, I posted pictures. I uh, I really had a good time. Barry, I want to send a shout out. Do we do occasional shout outs on this we fine do. program? Yeah. I want to send a shout out to friend of the show and a Philadelphia resident, much like you. Easier for me to say, oh. Barry. Jamie Ward. Jamie and his family adopting a dog. Way to go, Jamie and family. The dog's name, Bella. Barry, will you join me? Round of applause. Absolutely. Way to go, Jamie. Way to go. Didn't purchase. He adopted. Thank you. That's a key. Please adopt. Don't shop. So, Barry, before we get to our match of the week, one last thing. Time for you to pull up your email, Barry, because Barry Rose, we haven't done this in a while. All right. It's time for our movie of the week. Oh, are you ready? Oh, wow. That is a big one right there. Yes. Last week, we referenced a movie when we were discussing uh, the fine career of Bruce Campbell. And we said, what movie do we love more than any of Bruce Campbell? Well, me personally. Uh, Yes, it's Bubba Hotep. Barry, what a fun film Bubba Hotep is. So I, on my own, I said, you know what? I'm going to reach out and I'm going to see if we can get some people to review Bubba Hotep for us. Because we have not had many movie reviews lately. It is time, Barry, to do a little film review. Fun, fun movie. Barry, I'm going to take the first review. Uh, I have Ed Demko. I believe you have, uh, is it Ian Totten did yours? That's correct, yes. Okay, so I'm going to do Ed's. Then Barry's going to do Ian's. And then last one I have is uh, from Mike Wise. So Ed Demko. Didn't you reference Ed Demko uh, last week? I did. I So I referenced Ed Demko when it was about Cannibal Holocaust because we had had a conversation where he loves Cannibal Holocaust. And I, you know, for the animal shit, I don't. And then Mike Wise. How dare you, Mike Wise? Mike Wise yesterday making a comment somebody posted a photo about a bunch of old guys standing around and he basically said that the brothership was all fat except for me but i don't have any muscle tone and i was like how dare you say that mike wise ian ian todd not insulting us this week so i will I say that uh, we wish our fond farewells uh, to mike wise who will not be in the brothership <laughs> after much longer yes. anyway so ed dimco reviewing bubba hotep had this to uh, say i'm a huge don coscarella fan because of the Phantasm franchise. So Bubba Hotep was on the radar for me upon release. I saw it theatrically and it blew me away. The best part is that every time I've seen it since, it still manages to be one hell of a redemption story. It stars Bruce Campbell as the king himself, E.C.E., Elvis Presley, and how it's accomplished is brilliant, and Ozzie Davis as former President John F. Kennedy. It might sound silly, but these two are one of the best on-screen teams in history. It's easy for me to say. It's thoughtful, insightful, and it's an amazing story about aging and the human condition. Even in your golden years, you might get called on to be the hero. Will you answer the call? 
Nice review, Ed. Barry, why don't you tell us what Ian had to say? Absolutely, too. And I'm going to agree with Ian on this first line as well. For a film I've seen before, Bubba Hotep holds up remarkably well. I initially saw this back in the mid-2000s and thought it was hilarious. Bruce Campbell is damn near a national treasure. His turn is an aging Elvis set opposite a black man who swears that he is JFK might be his most depth filled role. Say that five times quick, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I gave you the review. Oh, depth, depth filled role. Uh, that, that sounds like something I'd order for dinner tonight. A depth. Sounds like depth comedy jam. Yeah. I suppose it has to do with seeing it through older eyes, but the horror and comedy aspects are really secondary to the story being told that of growing older and living within your own little world where those who know you accept you and your eccentricities. If you're a fan of Bruce Campbell, word, uh, word usage there, eccentricities, Barry. I think so. And I think everybody within the brothership, we all have our eccentricities for sure. If you're a fan of Bruce Campbell, and really, if you're not, you need to check yourself. I can't recommend this one enough. He and Ossie Davis play off of one another perfectly, even if you aren't into quirky flicks like this one. The fact that the film was written and directed by the man responsible for the original Phantasm, who you mentioned, Don Cascarelli, is enough to give this one a watch. Just make certain the kids aren't around. Is this not a movie for, I, I mean, I know like you don't want little well, kids. Ian watching, is but. always one to watch out for the kids. That's very responsible reviewing Aww. of you. Aww. Yes. Aww. Uh, so now we have Mike Wise. So Mike writes, so I was asked to watch Bubba Hotep for this week's Breaking Kayfabe. By the way, uh, Mike, let me just mention here. Uh, when you wrote this article and you referenced the good folks here, Breaking Kayfabe, you uh, did not capitalize Breaking Kayfabe. So going to point out to you a little grammatical <laughs> thing there for you mike you know if you're going to bash us with the aging comments and the fat comments at least you can do is capitalize the podcast no muscle tone what the fuck's he talking about yeah, jeff right yeah yeah <laughs> what's not to love about this movie it was directed by don cascarelli but well, that's three mentions of don cascarelli he's really he's going to be happy i would get him as an advertiser uh, who also created phantasm it stars bruce campbell as elvis and the late ozzy davis as someone who thinks He's John F. Kennedy. Spoiler alert here, uh, Mike. These two have to fight a reanimated mummy. Among other things, there is a fist fight that happens on a motorized scooter during this movie. <laughs> you also get to see Bruce Campbell playing Elvis doing karate chops. The best line in this movie is when Elvis asks Jack what Marilyn Monroe was like, and Jack answers, quote, that is classified information. Top secret. But between me and you, Wow. I highly recommend this movie, especially if you have some herbal refreshments around. Barry, I, I know that wouldn't apply to you, but thanks for the uh, quality reviews from all three gentlemen. I say that not really knowing personally, but anyway, uh, folks, we will post a link to Bubba Hotep on our fine, fine Facebook page, Breaking Your Fame with Boundary and Barry. And uh, yeah, Barry, I, I can't recommend this film enough. Total fun and just a good time, which means, of course, if I showed it to Mrs. Boundary, she'd say, what the fuck am I watching? Oh, absolutely. So I, uh, I think I never saw this film in the theaters or when it was initially released and I picked it up one day and it was playing, you know, it was one of those like <clears throat> rainy Saturday afternoon kind of days. And, uh, it happened to be on Cinemax or one of the channels and I flicked it on and I think I sat for the next 90 minutes. I didn't even blink. I was so into the movie. Mike raises a good point though, in his review, Jeff, and because you are not a partaker so I'll ask you, when it comes to alcohol, do you ever watch movies or TV shows, possibly under the influence of a few cocktails? And if the answer is yes, does it make 
the movie or TV show better or funnier for you? Well, uh, I will say, you know, honestly, and I don't want to, you know, be that guy. I, I, I don't need it. means you're going to be that guy. No, I, I don't need <laughs> it, you know. I, I mean, right. honestly, I have watched movies under the influence of alcohol and or <clears throat> other substances. <laughs> but, and as a matter of fact, great story. I watched, uh, uh, here's a, a really random, random movie reference. Are you familiar, Barry? Uh, I would have been a 1980 uh, actor of the old Animal House and Stripes and all those, you know, Saturday Night Live movies came out. There was a movie, and the only guy that I remember being in it of any note was, you know who Ron Liebman is? Sure, I know Ron okay. Liebman. Yeah. There was a movie called Up the Academy. I was, loved Up the Academy. It was put out Mad by Magazine. Mad Magazine, okay? So yeah. I went to the movie theater with a person <laughs> I will not name. <laughs> and uh, it's not Flaherty, uh, way before I met him. And we were stoned to the bejesus, okay? And we thought this was the fucking most hilarious movie we'd ever seen in our lives. And years later, I had a chance to watch it. I was like, eh, what was I laughing at? I, you know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, it certainly enhanced that movie. So it can make a bad movie good. Yes. I don't know. Can it make a great movie even greater? You tell us, Barry. It, it can. And uh, I will tell you. So it, I watch, I've seen every Curb Your Enthusiasm probably two or three times. And to me, that's the funniest show in the history of television. I'll get a little bit of hate for that one. But to me, Curb is one of those. But if I, if I have partaken in something herbal and something natural, I literally can have tears rolling down my cheek. So I, I do think, I think if you're, if you're enhanced a little bit, whether it's alcohol or something natural, uh, I think it can make something funnier. It's like the movie The Money Pit, Jeff. You ever see the movie The Money Pit with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long? I have managed to avoid it all these years. So it's a, it's actually a. I know, a, I know what it's about, and I yeah, I just, and it's I've a heard funny it was horrible, movie. So I didn't. No, watch no, it. it's not. It's it's actually a funny movie, but under the influence, I think it can be a hysterical movie. I, I I'm a big fan of uh, of imbibing while watching either movie or television. So speaking of imbibing. Some people may have wondered whether Naoa Ogawa was uh, under the influence. Oh, there is a smooth segue. Whoa, smoothest ever. E, we are time to talk about, uh, I just blew the, the smooth segue there with the, my fumble mouth. Uh, it's time to talk about our match of the week. Again, we are going to January 4th, 1999. We're in the Tokyo Dome, and it is Naoa Ogawa versus Shinya Hashimoto. A little backstory here uh, based on uh, some quality solid research that I've done. So Hashimoto is the biggest star in New Japan at this point. Okay. He is their, I believe, IWGP champion. Uh, if he's not, uh, you know, he's definitely their big main event guy. So he goes out there. Uh, now they had been doing all these, uh, you know, uh, mixed matches with different people, uh, you know, going back to when Antonio Inoki fought Muhammad Ali and guys after that, uh, the mixed matches were always a key staple point for New Japan. Well, let me just say that there are reasons why professional wrestling has bookers and promoters that like to be able to control the outcome of matches and like to be able to control what happens in the ring. And this is a prime example, much like uh, your uh, Steve Williams Burt Gunn boxing match uh, during your WWF uh, days of. Uh, many years ago, Barry, the control of the outcome was lost. So here you send in Hashimoto, whose whole gimmick is that he's some kind of uh, badass with the, the leg kicks and stuff like that, while essentially being a guy that eh, 
appeared to have a minor weight problem. Now, I'm not going to cast these versions. But you send him in there with a guy who has fought in MMA. I, you know, it's not like he had fought, you know, 50 times. He had maybe like 10 matches. But the point is that this was a guy that had fought in MMA matches before. And uh, the UFO promotion, uh, which, by the way, Lou, uh, if you could check for me, uh, I'm not sure on the uh, what the initials stand for. I'm sure it was like Ultimate Fighting Organization or something like that. Uh, but um, so anyway, so he comes in. Ogawa is brought to the ring by uh, a guy's name was Gerard, like Gordeaux or some of that, who I believe was a guy late 80s, fought uh, Akira Maeda in the UWF. Okay, so he's a legit guy. So they go out there and Barry Rose take it from there because the shit starts to get real. The shit does start to get real, too. And Ogawa is uh, he's a massive heel here. Also, we should say this is. This is a guy that even I hated him by the end of the match, right? Because he he comes across as this really cocky, arrogant douche that can't be controlled. But the match is, and this is where I guess the confusion is, because a lot of people, is this a shoot or not, Jeff? And I don't know. You asked me, and I said, I got to be honest, I don't think it's a shoot, but anything's possible. There is really no cooperation here. And uh, there's points where Hashimoto, and Hashimoto is being owned big time by Ogawa. This is Ogawa. It's a complete domination by him. And Hashimoto, to stop a lot of this, he is actually putting his head between the legs of Ogawa to stop some of the punches and the elbows and all this other stuff. And I also noticed he was bleeding from the nose when they did a close-up. But it does. There is zero cooperation. And, uh, you know, I, I was tempted to say that this is a work because the reactions obviously were so great from the fans and then the guys who were ringside, the young boys, etc. But there's a point when Hashimoto is down on the mat and Ogawa is kicking him in the head. And those kicks are legit, right? He's not pulling them. No, they look, could, they look pretty fucking brutal. That's for they sure. do. They do. Now, they could have been worse, which I'll, you know, but I, I think had he gone much worse, he could have killed him. But he wasn't really pulling these kicks. These were these were landing and uh, Hashimoto makes it outside the ring. I don't know what the official ruling of this match. Maybe Hashimoto countered out. I don't know, because he can't continue. And then Ricky Choshu comes down and Ricky Choshu, uh, you know, New Japan guy, obviously, Booker. Uh, Booker and, you know, and legend. And he comes down, he gets in the face of Ogawa, but Ogawa's kind of protected. There's there's a whole circle of people that are protecting him and around him. And it, it turns into this big kind of schmoz. Right. So it, it you know, I walked away and I was like, I think I think this is a work. I think a strong case could be made that this was a shoot. And when we say shoot, you know, it's kind of like when people classify the Bruiser Brody Lex Luger thing and they call it a shoot. It's not really a shoot. It's just two guys that really weren't cooperating with each other. And really, in that case, it was more like Brody was just not cooperating with this. It's hard to tell what's happening. I'm still going to go with. I'm still going to go with the fact that I think this was being worked a bit, but I also, I think that maybe Ogawa took some liberties with those shots to the head when he was kicking them. I can't see Hashimoto saying, yeah, kick me in the head that hard. You know, that just seems a little odd to me. Uh, but I, I like this match as well, even though it's not, it's definitely not a good match. Right, Jeff? I mean, you could no, no, I, I would say of all the matches we've reviewed in over 200 episodes, this probably would be the worst match, but, and we have said this before, 
the sheer spectacle of what yes. happens here. All it, honestly, I don't even know if the match is five minutes long. Okay, the the clip that we watched was about twelve minutes long. It includes the introductions for both guys. Ogawa walking to the the ring. He's got a definite uh, Akira Maeda badass uh, to him. You know, uh, he's a tall guy. For uh, you know, Japanese guys usually aren't six foot four. I'm 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 sure I'm stereotyping there, but let's just put it this way: wrestlers from Japan, you got your Sakaguchis, you got your Babas, your Jumbos, and stuff like that. But it's not it's something that's generally found in Japanese wrestlers. Uh, Maeda was another one that was very tall, but he's like about six foot four. He's uh, he just looks like a badass. He's got a real presence about him as he's coming to the ring, and uh, he gets in the ring. He's got his uh, his guys with him, including uh, the guy I referenced, Gerard Gardot, uh, and he's got a couple other guys with him. And then Hashimoto comes out, and Hashimoto uh, is, you know, he's doing sort of the, uh, uh, he, he's walking out by himself. He gets in the ring. The ring announcer, who, by the way, was the guy, when I went over there in the, uh, the around 87, he was the guy that Meltzer used to call Rockstar. And at this point, he was obviously getting older because as he was doing the ring introductions, I looked at him. He's wearing these glasses that have like these Coke bottle lenses in them. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit, even the ring announcer is getting old over there, man. That's that's really troubling. The uh, third man in the ring is our guy, uh, Masao Tori. Uh, and part of the reason why I'm wondering about this is if you watch a Tori during the time when, as you mentioned, Hashimoto has his head between. Uh, the legs of Ogawa, uh, trying to, in, in a way, protect himself. Hattori is really trying to separate him. And uh, Ogawa is not cooperating. Again, is Barry right? Is this a work shoot? Could that be a possibility? Absolutely. But there are some other parts of this that really make, if this is a work shoot, let's put it this way. This is one of the better work shoots I've ever seen. Sure. Because this was like, uh, so, and then uh, he tries a couple times to separate him. And then he gets flung to the mat. Uh, I'm not sure if it was by Hashimoto or by Ogawa. He gets back up a few seconds later, and the second time he gets thrown down, I think he gets sort of uh, Ogawa, I believe, goes to kind of throw him aside and catches him with a punch. And you know, uh, Hattori is, is a guy that was like an Olympic class wrestler, okay. Yep. Uh, and though he was older, he's not someone that's just going to be fucked around with. Okay. I mean, he can handle himself and yes, of course, Ogawa is much bigger. I get that, but you know, this isn't Kevin Nash throwing a uh, Ray Mysterio into a trailer. So then the shit breaks down all hell breaks. loose. the guys start coming in the ring after that guys begin to try to protect Hashimoto who Barry was right. He had blood coming out of his nose. Uh, the, the shots to the head from the, uh, the boots of Ogawa were, uh, pretty, pretty stiff and pretty troubling. Uh, wouldn't have surprised me at all if Hashimoto had sustained a concussion. Uh, and then you have Ricky Choshu, who I believe was the booker for New Japan at this time, comes out uh, when he begins making his way to the ring. The crowd, uh, you know, you're not you don't even see him come in as an intro. It's like all of a sudden you hear the crowd go, whoa, and they all like kind of stand up because Cho Choshu is like a good five to ten years past his prime. OK, oh, but easy. Yeah. The, the fans in New Japan. They know Ricky Choshu, and this is basically a version of like Dusty Rhodes coming down to the ring, and it's the late 80s. And you know, that they kind of like, oh fuck, here we go. You know, and so Choshu comes out of the ring. Now let's also remember that Ricky Choshu and New Japan fans, very smart. Okay. 
Ricky Choshu was an Olympic wrestler in 72. So even though he was older, and yes, Ogawa was younger and very skilled at fighting, Ricky Choshu is still not a guy that you're going to want to fuck with, you know, because if he if he gets a hold of you and locks you up, you know, there could be some uh, some problems there. This is not like, you know, uh, just some guy coming in. So uh, th- this is not, this. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and say this. This is just not some fan tackling Seth Rollins. Ooh, I said ah. that. A timely reference there. What'd you think of that, by the way? everybody's i mean it's uh everybody's it's become the biggest deal today <laughs> like for some reason this was a regular occurrence in our day right jeff so yeah. i don't know it was like a guy tackled him i think seth did a good job he you know immediately got right into character when it was over and was screaming at the guy and screaming at the fans i didn't watch raw last night which i know you didn't either but i would imagine this was probably the highlight of the show right yeah i'm sure yeah so anyway getting back to uh our match so Choshu comes in and Choshu is getting in the guy's face and uh, Ogawa is, he's kind of sort of not really acknowledging Choshu uh, and kind of ignoring him, kind of like, yeah, okay, uh, okay, old man, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So then uh, there's another point where Choshu goes over and reaches up and he, he gives him a, the slap, okay, which, the, you know, ultimate sign of disrespect and basically is challenging Ogawa to go after him. Ogawa's guys get him out. So now... Let's talk about some of the backstory because there is a belief, as we were speaking before we began recording, the group that Ogawa represented, the UFO, uh, was a group that was in part, uh, thank you, Lou, Universal Fighting Arts Organization. Thank you, Lou. That uh, Antonio Inoki was part of. So there's a belief because let me tell you something. Eh, Let me just give you guys a heads up. You think Vince McMahon had his hand in the till, you, uh, you know, like, I, I mean, uh, hand in the, you know, the stir in the pot. Uh, there you go, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, you think Dusty Rhodes could stir the pot? Uh, you, you think Eric Bischoff could stir the pot? Let me tell you something. Antonio Inoki was on his own level about his ability to stir shit up in Japan, okay? Because Antonio Inoki, uh, a lot of people speculated, put Ogawa up to this as a way of making Hashimoto look bad because, of course, Antonio Inoki, for the longest time, the biggest star in New Japan, a guy that basically was one of the founders of New Japan wrestling, had been basically kind of forced out because he wouldn't walk away. So he was kind of forced out. And this was his way, people speculated, of getting back and making Hashimoto, the lead star in New Japan, look bad. Barry, what do you think of that theory? That, I think that would make sense too. You're 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 right. You know, there Vince Mc and Vince McMahon certainly at the very top of the list too of guys that are shitsters and looking to create issues. Anoki also there is a really dark side to Anoki, and a lot of people that have dealt with him, you know, they'll back that up. They'll come forth and tell you there are a lot of stories about him. So yeah, I, I would that that actually makes a lot of sense to me, Jeff. So Barry, we will post a link to this match, this spectacle, this clusterfuck whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is an interesting, and again, it's only 12 minutes. So for those of you, oh, a Japanese commentary, it's 12 fucking minutes long. Uh, you know, turn it down if you don't want to listen to Japanese commentator, but you're going to miss the visceral reactions of the crowd for the different points in this match. But now that we've said all that, Barry, and talked about quite possibly the shortest and worst match in the history of our reviews here on this fine podcast, let's talk about some other famous incidents. Barry, you referenced the Luger Brody incident at the Venerable War Memorial Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that was a shoot. No, it wasn't a shoot. It was two guys, uh, I should say one guy, that wasn't cooperating with another guy. That's all it was, too. And if you go back and you look, and that was actually 
We're really fortunate in a lot of ways when you stop and think about it. A longtime South Florida fan, good friend of Howard Brody named Craig Cohen. And I believe Craig at one point had been a, a uh, the timekeeper, maybe in Lauderdale, maybe even Miami, but in the late 80s. Uh, but Craig actually, for I guess a, a period of time, had actually been shooting with a video camera and just happened to be at the War Memorial the night that that match took place. That is the only footage that I'm aware of. And when I first saw it, because you hear about it, right? So you hear about it, you get excited. Luger at that stage, not a big uh, internet darling type of guy and Brody was. So the fact that you you get to see Brody literally shoot on Luger had everybody excited. And then you watch the match and you go, well, it's not really a shoot, right? It's It's one guy not cooperating with the other guy, laying in some stiff kicks for the most part. And Luger, the, I guess the best part, Luger being completely confused as to what the fuck's going on and even yeah. looking at the ref like, what's going on? Like, help uh, me here. Uh, venerable Bill Alfonso, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The referee. And I think but, we asked Bill about this, yes, too, right? Yeah. Yes, I think we did. But so here's the thing. When it comes to a shoot match, like the reason when we talk about the Ogawa Hashimoto match, shoot matches are always going to be very short, okay? Yep. Because if the shit actually does get real, Trust me, no, nobody who's working, it's going to turn into, you know, there's no 30-minute shoot matches, okay? Let me just uh, break a little kayfabe on you there. So other famous matches that people have categorized as quote-unquote shoots, like, for instance, okay, there was a famous uh, match in Japanese history between Akira Maeda and Andre the Giant. I believe it happened in 1986, maybe, maybe 85. Andre apparently was essentially drunk and came to the ring and uh, Maeda was a, a guy that had a reputation of being a, a badass. And uh, basically, Andre begins to uh, uh, stop selling for him. And, you know, so Maeda begins throwing kicks at him. And he's not acknowledging the kicks. So Maeda starts throwing him a little bit stiffer, a little bit stiffer, a little more stiffer. And basically, I think Andre sits down on the mat. And then he lays down on the mat and says, go ahead, try to do something to me. At which point, Maeda turns to the New Japan official. I'm trying to think. I don't think it was Inoki. It might have been maybe Sakaguchi or another guy at ringside and says, well, can I go? Can I go after this guy? And he was told no. But again, this was not a, a shoot. This was him. His kicks may have turned into shoots. Okay. And we'll get into more of that in a second. But this was, this was again, Guys not cooperating with one another. This was not, you know, an actual combat situation. Uh, Barry, what have you heard about this particular incident? So what you just said, too, when you watch the match, a lot of it is it, it, ironically, because if you go back to the Anoki Ali match, Anoki spent 90 percent of that match on his back. Right. In the crab. Position, well, and that was part of the stipulations, kicks. too, was that there were certain things he couldn't do. Yeah, which that. we found out after the fact, which is, yeah, which is, you know, again, you know, I I actually watched this live. My dad took me to a hotel on Miami Beach that had a closed circuit, and then we got to see the undercard, which was matches from Atlanta, which was pretty cool. And then we saw that match, and that was a, I mean, that was a massive disappointment. Similar with this, Andre's on his back almost the entire match, but as you said, where he's saying, you know, come on, lay it in, Andre is laughing at him. Like there is this laugh that Andre's doing and clearly he does look inebriated as well. But everything that you just heard, you know, in Maida, 
Maeda is an interesting guy because Maeda is, uh, you know, I, I would say his most notoriety comes for the shoot kick to Ricky Choshu's face, which was a shoot kick. And it was a sucker kick, right? It was a sucker punch. Yeah, and I was I was going to actually mention that next. So there is a six-man tag. It is November of 1987. Ask me why I remember that, Barry. Because you were in Japan at the time. No, because I hadn't arrived in Japan yet at the time. Oh, all right. And of Comes course, my, my two favorite wrestlers for New Japan were, guess who, Barry? Definitely Choshu. And Akira Maeda. Of course, oh, naturally. Okay. So what happens is, Choshu, of course, has a, a broken orbital bone in his face, and Maeda gets suspended by New Japan. So my two favorite wrestlers, I've traveled all the way to Japan, only to be told your two favorite guys are not going to be part of the tournament. Ouch! Boy, that hurt. Let me tell you, Barry. So, uh, you know, famously what happened is Choshu locks up, uh, I believe it was a, a Samokido and a Scorpion Deathlock, and I don't know if that was going to be the finish of the match or not, Maeda walks in the ring, you know, just to do like, you know, your essential move where you're kind of breaking up the hold. And he goes and throws a kick at, at Choshu's face. And, you know, when I mentioned earlier that Choshu was not somebody uh, at, at a certain age, you know, even then to be trifled with. So this was when Ricky Choshu was in his prime. So Ricky Choshu gets a shoot kick to the face, which, by the way, would be an interesting name for a, <clears throat> a newsletter uh, column. Uh, very cheeky. <laughs> you see what go. I did there? Yeah, thank you. Oh, that was, that. that was slick, my man. Every once in a while, I get a little in for myself. But so anyway, so he lays the shoot kick into the face of Ricky Choshu, and Ricky Choshu does not break the hold. And then, like, he kind of, like, reaches up and with one of his hands, and he feels his face. Yep. And uh, Maeda is walking back to the corner, and, like, it's apparently then Choshu's like, whoa, what the fuck? And he looks back at Maeda, and he's like, what the fuck did you just do? He lets go of the hold of Keto, and he goes over to, to make a run at Maeda. Uh, I think Nobuhiko Takata was the other guy. because It was a six-man tag. And he kind of blocks him, and then Osamu Kido, uh basically distracts Choshu and is like basically like, let's go to the fucking finish here. Uh, you know, and, and props to Kido for, for being professional enough to do that. Real quick, boom, they go to the finish. Maeda leaves and goes back. And, you know, I will tell you that uh, since then, I know the men have made their peace. Uh, I believe, um, I want to say it was maybe Choshu's retirement or something like that. It was somebody's retirement, and Choshu was there, and Maeda appeared, and it had not been announced that he would be appearing. It was a huge deal because he and Choshu shook hands. It was literally the first time they had, they had met in the ring for any reason, like in over a decade. So it was a very significant event. But here again, this was a cheap shot, as Barry said. This was Maeda being unprofessional, as much as I love the guy when he was in New Japan. He was just being totally unprofessional. He, he suckered the guy uh, and hit him. It was a completely unprofessional move. But this was not a shoot match. This was a shoot move uh, where he he had somebody that would basically left himself vulnerable. And, you know, Maeda could have gone over and, uh, you know, slapped him or something like that to get him to break the hold as part of the, the transition in the match. But instead, he took liberties with the guy. But that doesn't make this a shoot match. It makes it a shoot move which is a completely different subject there, Bear. Yeah, you know, this is it. And I always thought, I got to say, too, I actually, uh, our old friend Johnny Mack, John McAdam, is the one that I got a copy of this, uh, of the videotape with this match. And uh, as I watched it, you know, the first thing, because uh, Choshu was out for how long, right? How long was he out for? Uh, Several uh, months, though, right? Yeah, at least, at least, yeah. yeah. So it, I always wondered, you know, what kind of retribution especially in Japan, different culture and all that, what kind of retribution towards Maeda? And apparently, from my understanding, there wasn't much because Maeda 
allegedly had uh, connections, if you get my drift. Um, hint, and hint, then, nod, yeah. nod, nudge, nudge. So mm-hmm. anyway, the story that I've always heard regarding that is that Maeda basically, uh, whether it was Inoki, Sakaguchi, whoever, uh, went to him and said, all right, uh, you want to come back to the company? Here's what you need to do. You Give be, me a uh, thumb. Give me your thumb. Right? <laughs> yeah, they right. cut off the thumb. Uh, no, yeah. it was more along the lines of you need to lose in, in a clean pinfall to Choshu, among other things, and uh, more likely to Inoki uh, because Maeda was very popular with the uh, the young hardcore fans, uh, the young uh, you know uh, fans of his from his UWF days. And uh, he basically said, uh, yeah, politely, no, thank you. Uh, then and went and recreated uh, the second generation of the Universal Wrestling Federation uh, in Japan had amazing success. Like uh, the U- Universal Wrestling Federation in like uh, what would have been, eh, I want to say like April 88 or thereabouts, they had their first card and they had no television. Uh, I don't believe they had any TV advertising. Tickets went on sale. And they sold out like a, uh, I don't know if it was the Tokyo Dome, but it was a, a really large building in like 15 minutes. I mean, just an incredible, incredible run on Tokyo, you know, on tickets in that area. Uh, they were incredibly, I mean, incredibly popular in the Tokyo and uh, surrounding area, but for whatever reason, did not draw hardly uh, anything, uh, comparatively speaking, at least. Uh, in these cities outside of Tokyo. But within Tokyo, oh my God, they were amazingly successful. And it was all due to basically what amounts to a cheap shot, Barry. Yeah, so I wasn't aware of that either. I knew that, I, I think with within the internet- I am here to inform you, Barry. Which is work, and you're informing the millions <laughs> upon millions of listeners of Breaking Kayfabe with Badger and Barry, but they were the hardcore darlings of the newsletter scene as well, the UWF and then oh, UWFI. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was Takata, it was Suzuki, but they Yamazaki. had a great roster. Yamazaki, uh, Bob Backlund even. Remember the Backlund match? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Funiaki. That's right. Funiaki. The young star that they also took from New Japan. Who, by the way, as if it wasn't bad enough that Choshu and uh, Maeda were both out of the tournament, Funiaki, who is their young upcoming star, gets arrested, uh, like, again, two days after I get there. Uh, as I recall, he got into some incident where he, like, slugged a cab driver or something like that. So they suspended him for the tournament. Three fucking stars out of the tournament that I flew all the way from Fort Lauderdale for. How was that? Oh. So what did we, we were talking about Hashimoto? What was the official cause of death on Hashimoto? Uh, eh, was it a heart attack? I'm here to inform, but that's something I can't inform you on because I don't know. Okay, so, uh, sweet Lou, uh, if you could chime in, check real quick cause of death. Shinya Hashimoto, obviously he died uh, much younger than one would think. Uh, I don't know whether or not uh, his uh, his weight situation played a part in it, and it was like a heart attack or what. Is his son still wrestling? I do not know that either. Barry, I'm telling people I'm asking I'm all the tough ones. two questions now that I didn't know the answer to. All right, so my next question, <laughs> maybe you know the answer. Who was the guy who was <laughs> the <laughs> the ROH World Heavyweight Champion who was modeled after Hashimoto? Was it Morishida? Is that right? Uh, yes. Also for Sweet Lou? It was, okay. <laughs> Sweet Lou? Sweet Lou, a lot of questions here, Sweet Lou. But uh, that guy was good, too, and I believe he retired with health issues. I don't know if he's passed away since, but uh, I want to say, was it Morishita, I think was his name? But he was this... Where's Cholminski when you need him? Yeah, exactly. Cholminski's over in Japan. Go figure. Cholminski, who will be at the next 
CWF Legends Fan Fest coming up. Did you know that, by the way? I did not know that. We were discussing people. Uh, We mentioned Richard Dawson. We mentioned uh, different wives of people that were going to be coming. Uh, We did not mention Eric Eric, mm, Cholminski. Yeah, Eric Cholminski coming down from Philadelphia, so he's all excited. According to Sweet Lou, Hashimoto dying of a brain aneurysm, Barry. Oh, and what was his his kid? Is kid still wrestling, Sweet Lou? Daisuke, is that it? I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that, but I think that's what his name was. I am on the case. Gotcha. And then who is the my last question? Who is the guy in ROH? Was you that, get a lot of questions, Barry. I do, I do. I'm I'm a, I'm a curious young man. Was that Morishida, the guy who was the ROH champion who was modeled after Hashimoto? I believe so. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So according to Wikipedia, uh Daichi Hashimoto uh made his pro wrestling debut for Zero One in twenty eleven. Let's see, is he still active? According to Wikipedia, uh, take that as you will, he's still working, and I guess he is in, uh, surprising, a a garbage match uh, promotion, Big Japan. Oh, all right. That's never good. It's never a good sign. Barry, as always, we here at Breaking Kayfabe with Adrian and Barry, capitalized there, Mike Wise, uh, always getting the up-to-date intel. So I happened to reach out to the guru, Dave Meltzer, about this particular match. Was it a shoot or was it a work shoot, Dave? And Dave said, there was a match with Choshu and Ogawa in a tag where Ogawa stopped cooperating. I think the Tokyo Dome matches were worked, but check on the cooperation. The one where it looked like a shoot and Hashimoto gasped was, quote, kind of a shoot. That is what you call a uh, maybe from the melts. Barry, it is time once again for one of our favorite game shows. Do you know what that is, Barry? Oh, would this be Florida Man or not? Of course it would be. Yay. Yay. And of course I do this to Barry unannounced. He did not know I was going to do this. It's time to surprise Barry with a segment of Florida Man or not. Barry, the headline reads... Man allegedly stripped naked and masturbated at an airport after headbutting TVs, then said, quote, it's a free country, and threw the stanchion at TSA agents. Let me continue, Barry. A man allegedly threw a lurid fit at an airport. Frank Towers, 44, was arrested Friday. Police say Towers threatened to kill a TSA employee. He's also accused of swinging through a stanchion at agents, according to the criminal complaint obtained. Cops said that he allegedly told they told him to stop and move away. Towers allegedly refused, saying, I did not have to stop. It is a free country. Officers were then approached <laughs> the defendant. Uh, he tried to strike an officer. The authorities took him into uh, custody. It turned out that this alleged misbehavior was more lurid and elaborate than initially known. Police say they found surveillance footage from earlier, 3.10 a.m. Bear, we've always said nothing good happens after two. Yes. Yeah. Showing uh, Towers hitting and headbutting a TV screen, stripping <laughs> naked, and masturbating. He allegedly also took his clothes off an hour later, then redressed and threw a chair. Very Florida man. <laughs> All I know is the next time I'm caught masturbating in, in the middle of the night, I'm going to say it's a free country. It's very right? awkward. Who you the know. fuck do you think you are? Absolutely. Well, so if this, you can't it, masturbate at an airport, really, where it, can you do it? It's yeah, the, the, we're, we're as a, as a country we're we're starting to regress. We should be able to masturbate anywhere we want to. The truth is this could easily be a Florida story because any of the airports, I could see this occurring. 
with that, I also know how this game works after like three or four years now. So I know that I need to somehow figure it out. Could it be a Florida story? It could. And I'm going to say it is not a Florida story, but there's a great chance it still could be. Minneapolis, St. Paul. Wow. Yes. I wouldn't have picked Minneapolis. I, I would have gone there Texas. Okay. Yes. Next story, Barry. All right. <clears throat> man arrested after attacking girlfriend with fried chicken. A man allegedly threw a piece of fried chicken at his girlfriend, causing an arrest for domestic battery. By the way, let me just say, we're laughing at the story, not at the domestic battery, which oh, no. we are never Absolutely. fans of. 23-year-old yeah. Jawan Brown got into an argument with his girlfriend at their apartment. Like many domestic arguments, it turned violent. The six foot two, 220 pound Brown stepped on the woman's foot and, quote, threw a piece of chicken at the victim, striking her at the left side of her face and glasses, according to a police report. It was not mentioned. This is actually in the article, which is kind of funny. It was not mentioned whether or not the delicious fried chicken was still edible. <laughs> that part of the story is kind of funny. Uh, he was arrested and then freed on a $5,000 bond. He's ordered to have no contact with the victim. Barry, Florida man or not? I'm going to say, so since the first one was not, I'm going to say this one is, again, you're talking fried chicken, which is, uh, pardon me. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I know. Look at that phone ringing. Wilmington, North Carolina. No idea. No idea who's calling me from Wilmington. Are you Are you dating anyone from Wilmington? I don't, not that I'm aware of. Uh, I don't I know think you got, so. You got a, a heavy schedule. I, there's a heavy schedule taking place, but <laughs> that'll be that'll be discussed in a future episode of Breaking. a future Patreon episode. Also, we should say I'm going to say it's Florida again. There are several states. Fried chicken. Look, it's a it's a popular thing in the South, though. Certainly the, the entire nation loves fried chicken. But based off the first story not being Florida, I'm going to say that this one is. So I'm going to ask you, Barry, Lutz, sure. Florida. How far is it from St. Petersburg, Florida? Oh, Jeff, St. Petersburg from Lutz is give or take 30 to 45 minutes max. Barry, because I am nothing if not what, Barry? You are a giver. I am a giver. And because I'm a giver, I'm offering up another top 10 that is food related, Barry. Barry, this one, not about cereal. It is the <laughs> top 10 breakfast foods. So right off the bat, Barry, if you are going anywhere and you're going to get breakfast, I know you said you're a yogurt and granola or whatever guy. What are you looking <laughs> for in, in a perfect situation? Well, so full disclosure, for the last couple of years, my breakfasts literally consist of fruit, yogurt, and granola. And I find if I, it's not a, a weight issue or anything, obviously, but if I find obviously that Obviously, you I have regular that, bowel movements. I have extremely regular bowel movements. Which is, by the way, I believe the first time we've ever mentioned bowel movements on this show. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I, I got to say, I do that because it puts my stomach in a good place, which is the yogurt, essentially, for the rest of the day, meaning I can eat and do whatever I want, lunch and dinner, and I really don't have stomach issues. But it sometimes does suck because I really used to enjoy these really robust, great breakfasts. So are you asking me if I was building a perfect breakfast for myself? Well, what no, I just do? like if you're you decide, fuck it, I'm not going to have the yogurt and the granola or whatever today. OK, uh, sure. I'm good. Perhaps you're going out with a young lady uh -huh. and you have no stomach issues and you right. want to uh, take them out and have a nice breakfast, uh, not the restaurant. But what are you having in front of you? Oh, wow. So I would have two eggs 
over medium to medium well, two strips of bacon, some country ham, two sausage links, hash browns, and I like the thin hash browns, very well done and crispy on both sides. That's and the way then, Mrs. Baldron likes her hash browns also. The only, well in my done, opinion, only way to get them. Well done, crispy, uh, with salt and pepper on them. And then I would like to have two blueberry pancakes with maple syrup. That wow, you're going to one hell of a dump later in the day. Damn right I will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. Joe Christie, that was for you. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what my choice would be after seeing if it's on the list. Okay. Starting off, as we always do, uh, they have 25 uh, – uh, items mentioned here. And I will say, much like uh, when we were talking, I think, about pizzas and, you know, they're kept uh, repeating, there was different versions of the same thing. Uh, number 23, omelets, which is to say, <laughs> I- I'm pretty sure eggs are going to show up somewhere else in this room. <laughs> but do you I like a good it. omelet? I, you know what? I don't love omelets. I'll eat omelets. And I'm going to tell you why this is going to sound. So, I, uh, years ago, I got sick on an omelet and I vomited an omelet. And when you vomit omelets, there definitely something stays with you. But I was in Mexico four years ago and I went to uh, the hotel was doing this giant breakfast and they were making up omelets. So I got an omelet of chorizo, which is Mexican sausage, queso fresco, and they topped it with guacamole. And I got to tell you, it was as good as anything I've ever eaten in my life. It was that good. So if an omelet's cooked right and you get the right ingredients, that can be as good as anything, in my opinion. So if you are going to have an omelet, what do you like to have in the omelet? Standard omelet, I would probably do, uh, I would like cheese and then breakfast meats, which would be the ham, bacon, or sausage. I believe Mrs. Bowdrin, uh, she likes to have uh, an omelet or the eggs with the uh, the American cheese, either on top or mixed in. Uh, I'm not a huge omelet. I mean, it's nothing wrong with it. I just uh, I have other things I would choose. Uh, 22, Barry, do you like a good breakfast potatoes? Oh, my God. Yeah. So one of the highlights is we just talked about hash browns, but I like home fries. I don't think there is a potato dish out there that I wouldn't like. So I love the only ones potatoes. I'm not a big fan of are the uh, what do you call uh, uh, the scallop potatoes. I'm not a big fan of those. But you're right. Other than that, uh, I, it's a go for me whenever potatoes are presented to me. So next here, 21 Barry seems a tad far down on the list for me. Scrambled eggs. How are scrambled eggs this low, Barry? That makes no sense because I would no. imagine scrambled eggs are probably the most popular breakfast item out there, right? Uh, um, yeah. So I like. I'm okay with scrambled eggs. I. Uh, I learned a trick when I worked for Universal Studios. We were doing a breakfast buffet, and the chef actually was a – he was really good. So he would add a small amount of milk, but he would then add a large amount of sour cream to the eggs. Really? So he was doing it for two reasons. I le- This was great because I got to learn something. A, the texture of the egg became creamier and smoother. But when you have eggs in a chafing dish, they generally get hard. They sometimes can change color a little bit. The sour cream prevents that. So you'll actually get a longer life with that. But the texture of an egg with sour cream is fantastic. So, yeah, big fan. I know you're always a fan of something uh, staying harder longer than usual, uh, you oh, know, generally sure. speaking. So, yeah. I, you know, as we we're talking about eggs here, what struck me, Mrs. Bowdrin and I, big fans of the uh, diner. Well, no, maybe not Mrs. Bowdrin, more me, uh, a fan of the diners, uh, dives and drive-ins, whatever, Guy Fieri show. I sure. think it's really amusing that the one thing he goes to all these restaurants, literally all over the country, he's been to like other countries. The one thing he will not eat is eggs. Like 
Literally, you could put anything in front of him and he'll try it. He's I, I've seen shows where he sampled pig's ears, but by God, he'll eat a pig ear. But if you put a a, a friggin' uh, hard boiled egg in front of him, he literally begins to uh, you know like do that little you know in his mouth where he's you know going to throw up in his mouth. I, I don't know that I've ever met anybody with a, a some sort of thing that prevents them from eating eggs. Do you know why? Is there an explanation as to why he won't do that? I don't know. I mean, I've seen almost all the shows just because I'm a fan, and I don't remember him discussing whether or not, you know, much like me when I was a kid and I had the horrible experience with salad, that's why I don't eat salad, and people making fun of me, by the way, at the Fan Fest, Barry. They were. Shameful, shameful conduct. So, number 20, Barry, when you're having breakfast, here's one. How the fuck did this get in front of scrambled eggs? <laughs> and I'm talking strictly as a breakfast item here, folks. I'm not talking to lunch. I'm talking strictly breakfast. How is grilled cheese a breakfast item? <laughs> it's grilled cheese is not a breakfast item. No, I, I, lunch, I love a lunch. good grilled cheese, but yeah, so do yeah. I. But and, and not only that, it's on this list, but that's on the list in front of scrambled eggs. Okay, so they, now we so so if I go to a breakfast spot, let's say like a Denny's or an IHOP. And I want the grilled cheese and pancakes. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. Come on. Give me a break with this okay. one. Right? Number 18, Barry, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Number 18. <laughs> happened to, I know it's crazy. <laughs> happened to have these this past weekend. The wife made them. Oh, Barry. Cinnamon rolls. Oh, my God. So cinnamon rolls. Not I can just feel my sugar level anymore. spiking just thinking about it. Boy, I'll tell you what, a good cinnamon roll, Jeff, when it's hot and there's the frosting and it's just, is there anything as good as a hot, gooey cinnamon roll? Uh, there's one thing, but it's right. not breakfast. Are there two things, right? <laughs> <laughs> but cinnamon rolls are definitely, and here, cinnamon rolls it should be higher on the list as far as I'm concerned, because uh, the gooey confection that is cinnamon rolls uh, with a good glaze on top of them. You can't beat that. Uh, are you a Cinnabon fan, by the way, Bear? I am a Cinnabon. Who's not a Cinnabon fan? Who's for God's sake, yes. people with diabetes go into Cinnabon. <laughs> yes, that's true. They walk by and you're like, "Ah, oh, son of a bitch." The I'm smell, man. How can you? Yeah, how can boy. you? How can you deny? You right when you walk by and you smell that? It's impossible. So next, Barry, up at sixteen. Do you like a good croissant, or as they say in France, a croissant? Do you like that for breakfast? Yeah, I like croissants. My ex used to make croissants. Zoe loves croissants. So Zoe loves chocolate croissants and plain croissants. And uh, I used to eat croissants all the time. So, yeah, they're great. And they're great with a making a breakfast sandwich also. Yeah, we have discussed before there is a chain restaurant. Because I remember we did the thing about chain restaurants. And there was one. It's like a French place, primarily for breakfast and lunch. And uh, there's one around here. And literally... When my wife and I want to have a breakfast, a croissant, we drive out of our way to go to this place because the croissants there are so freaking good. I've never, I can't remember the name of the restaurant. Um, if, if I think of it all, is it I'll, Aubon it. Pan? No, no. Okay, uh, but it's just, uh, it's just Le amazing. Peep? Is it La Peep? No, that wasn't no. it. Uh, if right. I think of it, I'll, I'll talk about it. But croissant, right. it probably should be a little bit higher on this list. Number 15, oh, I know our executive producer, Brian Last, a big fan of French toast, Barry. So Again, this, French toast, 15. Yeah. Come on, this thing should be in the top 10. So this is this will lead into the big discussion of French toast versus waffles versus pancakes. But we, I can wait to get to that discussion. So French toast, if it is done right, can be spectacular. The best I've ever had is at Disney World at the Polynesian Village. They do a banana stuffed 
French toast. It is deep fried and then rolled in a cinnamon sugar to tell you it is uh, decadent. It is unbelievably fantastic. The best French toast I've ever had. And probably my favorite out of the French toast waffles and pancake debate. That being said, there's a lot of bad French toast out there. And for a lot of people, it's just, you know, putting it in the the egg and the the milk and letting it soak. And I just, I'm not really a fan of that. That doesn't really do it for me. So good French toast, yes, but there's a lot of bad out there, Jeff. So if you remember uh, this uh, past weekend or weekend before when we were in Jacksonville, uh, my wife and I went out to a local restaurant and I sent you the picture of the French toast that I got because yeah. it had, uh, they'd put like uh, blueberries, uh, strawberries, and I'm not sure what the other, it was some other fruit. A lot, and then they had like a drizzle of, I guess it was some sort of, I don't know if it was maple syrup, it was some kind of syrup drizzled on it and uh, like maybe some powdered sugar on it. And I remember when I sent you the picture, you were like, you're eating that <laughs> because <laughs> it had the actual fruit with it. And I said, you know, I said, uh, there's, I don't eat everything on here. I, I'm not a big strawberry fan, but the blueberries uh, with the French toast was really incredible. I mean, it was a very nice mixture and that might've been the, one of the best French toast breakfasts I've ever had. Interesting. Uh, someone in this list mentioned, Barry, I don't know if you know, Gordon Ramsay's personal French toast recipe uh, involves you add cinnamon and sugar to the egg and milk mixture when you're uh, dipping the bread into it, plus caramelized apples and maple syrup. What do you oh, think? That like? Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds really hey, good. Gordon Ramsay wants to make my uh, my breakfast. I'm willing to give that a shot. That's all I'm, I'm with say. you. Number 14, Barry, being uh, a man who has lived in New York City and been employed as a server and manager, <laughs> Barry, I know in New York City, they serve one hell of a good bagel. And here, oh number God, 14. Yeah. So bagel will, will be my number one regardless. That'll be my favorite breakfast food. I could eat bagels, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but there, and Bruce Cohen knows this, there is a bagel place. It is on... Third Avenue in between 50th and 51st streets, and it's called Essa Bagel. It is the best bagel I've ever got. And for, I would say, Bruce Cohen, I will expect you to comment uh, since you are a food guru in the group. And uh, I will expect a review from you to be posted at least by Wednesday. Please continue, Bear. Absolutely. I used to go every day, seven days a week. And I, I had the, my coffee guy was in a cart on the street. You got a and, coffee guy? Uh, I had a coffee guy and he, he was the greatest guy ever. And he would see me and I would get two large coffees and he knew, so I didn't have to order. He knew exactly how I wanted it. And if I was fifth in line, by the time I got up there, he would give me the coffees. I get, I would give this guy Christmas gifts. That's how much I loved my coffee guy. And then I would go get the bagels and I would get, usually I would get two everything bagels. I would eat both for breakfast along with the coffee some days, if I was feeling adventurous, I would get scrambled eggs with kosher salami on an everything bagel. Jeff, nothing better on the face of this earth. My God, am I hungry right now? I will tell you that uh, I've mentioned before, not a huge bagel fan uh, myself personally. Mrs. Bowdrin, on the other hand, she loves a good everything bagel. Okay. If she uh, is in a location where there is bagels present uh, and we haven't tried it before, she's going to get their bagels. However, I will say, that there is a bagel place up here that is a quote unquote, uh, you know, New York or Brooklyn uh, bagel. Uh, it's not a chain or anything. It's just a restaurant that advertises itself as a New York uh, diner. And every time we drive past this place, the wife's like, let's see what the line looks like. It's not too bad. Okay, pull in. I got to okay. I got to get me at least a half dozen, you know, bagels. Uh, and again, the uh, she likes the plain bagels, the everything bagels. 
So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, she's more of a fan of it than me. Uh, let's check out the list. Oh, here, Barry, number 12, hash browns. Absolutely. So this would go with the, I mean, again, you said breakfast potatoes, so I don't know, but uh, hash browns are my favorite, just like Mrs. Baldrin. I like the IHOP version. If really cooked correctly. Well, because the IHOP version is the shredded potato. Sure. Yeah. And then it's it's almost pancake. And you like them a little well done, you said. Like them well done. They're pancake. They're thin. They get crispy. Salt and pepper. That's I could eat that all the time. I love it. Okay. Uh, number 11. Now, here, Barry, <laughs> I'm just going to say, it's not that I'm not a fan of these because I, I do like these. But above bagels, above scrambled eggs, above French toast, number 11, Pop-Tarts. Uh, like, so, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to put these in the 20s? I got no problem with that. At number 11, Pop-Tarts? So I like Pop-Tarts. No, I no, so do I. I just think I it's a little high on the Pop- list. Ozzy loves Pop-Tarts. I can say these staring at me right now. If I say the word Pop-Tart. I uh, don't say what, the word French fry. Not around yeah, Ozzy. I can't say that. But usually with our Pop-Tarts, it usually occurs about 10 and 1030 at night when I'm craving something sweet. If you get my drift and... Depending on the munchies, pop- is that what you're trying to say? Well, case of the munchies, and a lot of times my favorite is the s'mores pop tart, but really? being that it has chocolate, I don't give it to Ozzy. So I eat the inside, and Ozzy gets the outside, which is a graham cracker crust, which he there loves. You go. So yeah. I will say uh, that if I'm going pop tarts, uh, I like uh, first of all the blueberry pop tarts, uh, and I like uh, I like the cinnamon sugar pop tart. Hey, hey, go right for the sugar, uh, mm. right? Uh, you know. So those are my two particular favorites, Jeff. Also, yes. All important question with this as well. And I, I, I want to say that I know the answer ahead of time, but I still mm-hmm. want to hear it from you. Frosted or not frosted? Frosted, definitely. Has Absolutely, to be frosted. right? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, you know, it's funny because uh, there is the traditional brand of Pop-Tarts. Then you have the uh, off-brand, like the ones that are made by, they have, you got Publix or Kroger's or whatever store is in your area. They, they got their own store version and they're like Popums or something like that. You know, there's some kind of name like that. And these are the, uh, you know, the off-brand Pop-Tarts. You don't want to mess with those. Stick with the regular Pop-Tarts, uh, you know, and, and again, here's something else. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, your, uh, your hash browns that you like them a little dark. I like my uh, Pop tarts with a little bit of darkness around the edge, you know, so it's got like uh, the frosting is melted just a touch. That's my personal favorite berry. What do you think? Delicious. Yeah, delicious too. I so I because I don't eat the edges, I give always give that to Ozzy. And if I eat a fruit pop tart, I, I do like frosted blueberry, frosted cherry is my favorite mm-hmm. of the fruit. I always I'll give Ozzy some of the the inside as well and a little bit of the frosting too, which he also loves. Pop tarts are wonderful if they're heated Absolutely. up correctly. So though. number yeah. 10, Barry. Barry, do you like to eat a good muff in? Uh, yeah. See what I so did you there? know, yeah, I did. I did. So I like muffins. the The best story I can ever give when I first moved to New York, I wasn't working as a server or a waiter because I didn't what? have a job. What? I didn't have a job yet. So oh, I was, yeah. yes, when I first moved, I was dating a young. The reason I moved, actually, Jeff, as all all smart decisions go, I met a young lady and decided. Uh, I've had those uh, stories start that way too. Yes. And of course, the relationship ended after like three months, but I still stayed for a few years. So she took me to a place down in she was going to NYU down in the NYU district area. And it was a muffin store. It was a restaurant and a muffin shop. What was it called? And top of the top of the muffin to you? It was at the uh, Seinfeld uh, store. <laughs> I think that was it. The muffin yeah, tops. Yeah. That's a great idea too. When you stop and think about it, that. And, well, what are you going to do with the yeah. bottoms of the muffin? The homeless people—they shouldn't be expected <laughs> to eat. Them. I love that. That is so funny. 
But th- this was kind of cool because nowadays you've got every type of muffin known to man and there's no big deal. But back in the old days, this was early 1984, we had blueberry muffins, we had corn and bran, but we didn't have a lot of muffins back then, right? It was all pretty much the same four or five muffins. She takes me to this place and she gets me like a peach cobbler muffin. And I got to tell you, it was the greatest thing I'd ever had. We broke up and I would still go back there all the time just to go get muffins. So, yeah. Did you run into her? Because that could have been awkward. It would have, but it would have been worth it. And I always knew that walking in, I never did run into her, but it would have been worth it because the muffins were that fucking good. So let me just say that my personal favorites on the muffins, like a good corn muffin, you're right, but not so much for breakfast. You know what goes good with a corn muffin uh, is when uh, you're having something like uh, chili, chili, something like that. So I like a good corn muffin. I like a good cinnamon muffin. And I like a good blueberry muffin. Oh, blueberry muffins, especially when they're warm berry. Yes. Nice butter on there. Hmm, That's some good eating there, buddy. Okay. So as I said, we're now in the top 10. Berry at number nine. Now, this is one I know you're going to like. Fruit. Doesn't specify what kind. <laughs> fruit. Fruit. Yes, I like fruit. I That's like fruit a lot. Somewhat generic. <laughs> Today, Jeff, I had, I will tell you what my, uh, what my breakfast consisted of. It sure. was fresh blueberries, a fresh banana in a bowl, topped with, board. Yes, topped with raspberry yogurt. And then a big helping of fruit and nut granola. So that's what I had today. Well, let, let me just ask, because the, the picture that goes along with this, they have some of the idea. Do you like uh, uh, apples? I, I like a good I apple. I like apples. Absolutely. Okay. Do, do, you like, uh, do you like mangoes? Uh, mango top three fruits. Yes. Okay. I unfortunately am allergic to mangoes. Uh, if you ever saw my picture from, mm, I want to say third or fourth grade, you'd understand why I had an allergic reaction right before school pictures came out. That was a good timing. Do you like a good kiwi? Love kiwi. Absolutely. Yep. And we mentioned uh, you do like strawberries. I do. Yep. Okay. So maybe we'll find out when we uh, post this uh, particular uh, part of the episode, what people's favorite kind of fruit is, especially for breakfast. Number eight, berry. I know that if there's nothing else you like to work, it's a good sausage. Well, anyway. <laughs> work that sausage, boy. I'll tell you what, a good sausage is, uh, I got to I gotta get away from that. <laughs> I got to come out right. I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> the, the sausage isn't going to come out right? Is it's that just, what you just said? Really? This will be like an I love cock situation. Exactly. Still following me around four years later. Of breaking yeah, yeah. Big meaty sausage. But uh, exactly. I'll tell you what, there are so many great breakfast sausages that are out there. I really like a good breakfast. That <laughs> still didn't come out right. Yeah. All is right. It cur- is it a curved sausage? <laughs> <laughs> it's got that Peroni's disease where it's a little curved to the right. Yes. So now, do you like your sausage in a link or a patty? I am a link guy. I'm not a patty guy. I, you know, I, uh, I like both. Uh, I like a good, uh, the, with the, uh, what they call the country sausage. I'm not a big fan of the uh, the kielbasa's, uh, the Polish oh, sausage. So good. Jeff. No, no, no. Really? I, I know they have fans, but I'm more yeah. of a fan. It's not that I won't eat those. I'm just not as big a fan. I like a good Italian sausage, especially mm. uh, the ones that you, you get your choice between mild and hot. Uh, you know, definitely a fan. And the country sausage for breakfast, always a good one. So, Barry, number seven, it's funny. They say toast, but the picture is like French toast. So, again, the list uh, duplicating some uh, category. But do you like a good slice of toast with your breakfast? 
Yeah, I'm I'm okay with toast. It's if you were gonna say, you know, would you rather have pancakes as a side or toast? I almost always am gonna go with pancakes. Toast is good. I, I like a, you know, I, I guess I don't eat a whole lot of toast, but I know about you and toast, Jeff. I know how much you like toast, and I know how well done you like your toast. That is true. Mrs. Bowdrin's uh, consternation is always the fact that uh, when we go to a restaurant and I order toast, I will say, make it well done. And then she will say, when the guy back there thinks it's done, tell him to run it through the, uh, the thing <laughs> one more time because I want it just this side of burnt. Uh, so let me ask you, when you have toast, what do you like to have on the toast, Barry? I'm just a butter guy for the most uh, part. No jelly? You know, I, I guess I would if the jelly's there, but at the end of the day, actually, my favorite toast is rye toast. Nice rye toast, heavily buttered would be perfect for me. I like a good, uh, I can go with a sourdough bread, maybe a, a whole wheat, and uh, I like to put the uh, the butter on there. I, I like a little apple jelly. Yeah, that, that's my favorite kind of jelly. Uh, however, underrated, hey, you can't get this at a restaurant, but when I'm home, if I make toast, peanut butter toast berry. Because That's then you get the really good. Yeah. yeah. And especially my peanut butter, your peanut butter brand of choice, Barry, is? Uh, it's Chunky Skippy. Okay. I am more of a fan of the uh, Peter Pan. I had controversial choice. I know some people are not big fans, but I like the Peter Pan Crunchy. Uh, my wife knows that I can go into panic mode if I'm looking for peanut butter. And I noticed uh, that, by God, there is no Peter Pan in our cabinet. It's time to make a run to Publix. But I like the crunchy. You spread it on a nice piece of toast that's been uh, fully darkened. And then by the time you sit down, the peanut butter has begun to melt a little bit. That is when things are getting good, Barry. Number six, Barry, we covered this topic, I believe, cereal. Yeah, I think we just covered this topic. Uh, and look, I, I like cereal. I don't eat it for breakfast any longer. But I had... Shit, two or three nights ago, I had a bowl of Fruity Pebbles around 10, 10 o'clock at night. You so, do yeah. like your Fruity Pebbles, has been established uh, yes. by our visit to Florida. Uh, uh, you know, I, I what did I have? I had some, I believe I had some Fruit Loops, which is actually the picture uh, here on this uh, article. By the way, I should mention, as uh, always on these lists, I shouldn't say as always, but uh, recently we've uh, been getting these lists from the thetoptens.com. Uh, thank you so much for these lists. Uh, number five, oh, Barry. And now see, I can see why this is up here in the top five. Barry. Who doesn't love a good, good donut? Oh, donuts. Unless donuts. it's from Dunkin' Donuts, then I know Barry Rose is not a fan. Yeah, so and that's and the shame of it is there are good donuts and bad donuts out there. And I think a lot of the country is just used to bad donuts. But when you get a good donut, and we can talk about curiosity. I don't currently go to curiosity at $3.50 per donut. Ow. You have yeah. So if three dollars wasn't enough. They raised the prices to three fifty because of uh, the current environment that we're in, and whether it's product or labor, whatever it is. But you know, two donuts at seven dollars is a little bit pricey, and I can't really uh, afford it, so I don't do that. But if a donut is good, I love a good donut. To me, I would rather have a donut than a slice of cake or a piece of pie. Give me a donut. So here is it's funny you mentioned that three fifty per donut. I and I realize we're talking a long time ago, but when I was a kid. And we lived in uh, Key West, Florida. Right down the street from our house was a Mr. Donut. Do you remember Mr. Donut? They were very good. Yes. And the Mr. Donut for a dozen donuts, Barry, 99 cents. Oh, wow. What year was this, Jeff? 1946? No, no, I'm not great good. Okay. Okay. Uh, I will say early 70s. How about that? Let's get I'm off just, topic for a minute here because oh, we, we haven't we haven't done this recently. We we always get off topic. So I don't think I ever knew that you lived in Key West. Was this the military base? 
uh, the, my father was stationed at the military base in Key West, Florida, which is no longer there. Uh, at least it's not operating as a military base anymore. It's funny, we went back there, uh, geez, over a decade ago and actually went to uh, our old house, which was like a, a duplex. And uh, it's funny because, you know, you think when you're looking at your house that you had when you were a kid, you think it was like so big and massive. And my sister and I drove up to it and we were like, how the fuck did we live in a house that small? You know, you sit there and you you remember and I had to share a room with my brother and uh, bunk beds and uh, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, good times living in Key West, Florida there. Jeff, I am going to recommend a movie if you've never seen it. It's a movie called Matinee. Are you familiar with this movie at all? Uh, yes, I am. That is the one about the drive-in movies, isn't it? It is. Yeah, essentially, it's John Goodman. It's centered around the military base in Key West. The main character is a young kid and his family. The father is in the military and the the family lives on the base in Key West. And this was during the whole escalation with Russia everything taking place. I think it was what the 1960s, right? Yeah. Cuban uh, missile crisis. Cuban missile crisis. Correct. I would imagine you could probably relate to this in, to some degree. Yeah. I, I will have to check that out. Yeah. So number four, Barry, again, I mentioned that these lists tend to duplicate. Why is there more than one entry for eggs? Okay. So number four is eggs. Barry, we mentioned scrambled eggs before. We mentioned an omelet before. Somehow eggs are on a category all by themselves here. So if you are, if you have your druthers, and excellent use of the word druthers, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is your go-to kind of egg? So it's generally going to be two eggs over medium to medium well. I can't eat scrambled. If I'm feeling fancy, I would go for the old eggs Benedict, which again is eggs over well for the most part also. But yeah, that's it. That's usually how I would go. Well, I will say to you and I have something in common. I also like my eggs done over medium. That is my generally my go-to choice. I will tell you, I will break kayfabe at this moment. Do you know who else in my family is a big fan of uh, eggs, whether they be scrambled or they be over medium? Gunny and Molly. Nice. Love them. So whenever Mrs. Bowdrin is making up a batch of eggs, she always puts a little bit aside to uh, supplement the uh, the dinner, you know, and eggs they are both great are great for dogs. Yes. Uh, when I was cooking Ozzy's food, one of the staples of the food were the eggs. And then I did a lot of research, Jeff. And I don't know if you ever knew about this, but the shell of the egg contains a lot of calcium. And mm. one of the recipes was to grind it up into a powder and then sprinkle that in the eggs to add that because then your dog is getting what he needs as far as calcium. And I actually was, I had a little, had a little coffee grinder that I was putting the eggshells in and doing that. I will perhaps have to check out uh, this uh, particular item the next nice. time we prepare eggs. Number nice. three, Barry, we briefly touched upon this controversially. Number three, waffles. Yeah, I love waffles. So you know, again, if we're going to talk about the big three of bread items when it comes to breakfast, again, waffles, pancakes, and French toast, I'm a waffle guy. If the waffle is cooked correct, if it's a Belgian waffle, if it's crispy on the outside, it's a little soft on the inside, maybe throw some powdered sugar, maple syrup, fresh fruit. I'm a waffle guy. I like the little squares. And even to this day at 58 years old, if I get a waffle, I like to put the maple syrup in each one of those little squares like a four-year-old as I eat the waffle. So, yes, big fan. I will say that when we used to go out and get a nice waffle for breakfast uh, as my kids were growing up, uh, my daughter uh, in our Facebook group, the lovely Kelly Cohn, uh, 
when she would put the butter, because you got to put butter on top of the waffle. She oh, yeah. literally would spread the butter to where it covered every one of the little indentations on the waffle. And I'm like, are you going to have a little waffle with your butter there? What's going on with that? And that's the way she liked it. Uh, so now let me tell you, first of all, I am a huge waffle fan. Barry, is there a better place to quote Harley Race on God's green earth if it is 1.30 in the morning, you want to you wanna beat that deadline and not be out after two where bad things could happen, is there a better place? And perhaps you're under the influence of some consumables. You've had an adult beverage or two and you want some food, is there a better place to eat than Waffle House? There's probably not. And I think it's also, I think every every individual, whether male or female, if you are out and it is, you know, the middle of the night, it's 1, 1.30 in the morning, you owe it to yourself. It's a rite of passage to go to a Waffle House. You know, yes. usually your server could also be the cook and the cashier. Yeah. There's no hygiene. Now, let uh, Barry, let me just say, if you are under the influence, whether it be of uh, consumables or alcohol, we don't want you driving. Oh, the no, good no, folks absolutely. here at Breaking Kayfabe uh, do not uh, encourage that. And we, in fact, discourage that. But yes. please, Barry, continue. We do discourage that. And this, is, this goes back to CWF Legends Fan Fest. The beauty of what we do is there are multiple restaurants all within the same complex where the hotel is. Centralized location. Yeah. And uh, somebody said, would you ever consider moving to a bigger venue? And I'm like, why? Why would we ever want to move anywhere else? It's the most perfect location, in my opinion, ever. So we we absolutely if you drink and drive. No, we're not fans of that. Uh, we're doing anything. We're not fans of it. So I don't but do it. I don't. If you are out at 130 and you're being responsible, please yeah. avail yourself of the opportunity to go to Waffle. No, 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 let's be honest. You don't want to go there and get dinner. No, no. there are better options for dinner. But if you're like, I need a little bit of the hair of the dog that I'm currently being bit by, a waffle at 1.30 in the morning is absolutely Barry's right, a rite of passage. Number two, Barry, we've discussed this before, bacon. Do you like, ba you like bacon better than sausage? I do. Whenever people say I don't like bacon, and if you're telling me you don't like the taste of bacon or you don't like the texture, I sit there and I just go, you're lying <laughs> or, you're, or you haven't Wondering had good be bacon. Friends. Yeah, there's something I get it. If you say, look, I have a heart condition and the fat I that I get. But people who don't like bacon. Oh, my God. Bacon is absolute. It's the food of the gods, Jeff. Yes. It is unbelievable. If cooked properly. Bacon True. is the food of the gods. And, you know, there are and, you know, it's funny because uh, for all the things, uh, you know, going back to toast and different things that I like to have well done, I am not a fan of of the bacon being the extra crispy, darkened kind of bacon. My daughter, huge fan of the uh, of the extra crispy bacon. I just don't like my bacon that way, Bear. Yeah, no, I, I like, so I think we see this come up every six months where somebody pick your number of the way that you exactly. like your bacon. Yeah. So I like mine, the way bacon is supposed to be cooked too, according to real chefs, bacon is at, at its perfect texture and perfect crispness just before it burns. So you don't want it black, you don't want it burned, but you want to be able to pick up a piece of bacon and not have it flop over. That is a good piece of bacon. So underrated, and I, Barry, I will do something that I'm not sure we've done in all these episodes of Breaking Kayfabe. I'm going to compliment my ex-wife, wife number two. All right. She used to make a absolutely delicious bacon sandwich. She would have the bacon uh, she would put a slice of cheese that would be melted, and then oh, she would God. toast the bread. Yeah. And <laughs> holy shit, was it good! 
That's like one of the Stop. things about that marriage that I miss. <laughs> oh my God. I, uh, yeah, a bacon sandwich. So I could eat, that's, uh, it's almost like a grilled cheese with bacon, right? So I yeah, could eat exactly. grilled cheese with bacon. I could also do bacon, lettuce, and tomato. I can do a club sandwich. You could put bacon on it. Bacon on pizza, Jeff, is great. Give me bacon. I'm eating it. Now, would you put pineapple on bacon? No, of course you would. That's what I'm Number one, Barry, have you figured it out what number one is yet? Uh, Number one, so we've talked about. So number one is going to be pancakes, Jeff. Number one is, in fact, pancakes. Yeah. Barry, uh, any particular way you like them? You you mentioned blueberries and pancakes. Do you blueberry do you like pancakes? Them? So I like the, my two favorite types of pancakes are going to be banana pancakes. Bananas when they caramelize and you put the maple syrup on them, it's a natural. But if you get really good blueberry pancakes, and I've said it, the best I've ever gotten, Cracker Barrel. They use wild Maine blueberries. I also make some great blueberry pancakes, but yeah. a good blueberry pancake cooked correctly, Jeff. My God, it's a gift. So let me just throw out some of the names of different kinds of pancakes. You tell me which one of these you've uh, sampled, Barry. All right. Uh, uh, chocolate chip pancakes. You ever had those? I have. They're good. Yeah. Pancakes with M&Ms. I think Zoe did make that for me once. I, I Yeah. It's, you know, it, they're, they're good, but it's not not what I really want. I like a nice regular pancakes uh, uh, with uh, – you got to have – if you got like three, okay, very important – because a lot of restaurants, they give you the, the tabs of butter that are like near frozen, okay? Not a fan of the frozen butter, by the way. But you take the butter, put them between the two pancakes. Then you have one slab of butter that you can spread across the top. You have to have good coverage on the butter. Then you pour some maple syrup on there. Am I going to be able to finish it at my age? No. But by God, for a few minutes, I'm going to be enjoying those friggin' pancakes, Bear. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Very always a fun, jam-packed episode, talking a little shooting in the old business, uh, and we're talking all kind of, you know, breakfast foods, uh, Florida men or not. I know you love being surprised by Florida men or not, Barry, am I right? You're 100% right, Jeff. Check. Didn't think we were going to get it in this episode, but I managed to do it. So I will tell you that uh, on behalf of our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman out in the Bay Area, Barry Rose. On yet another extended <laughs> holiday. Good Lord, this man gets more holiday time than I did when I worked for the county courthouse in Fort Lauderdale. But I will say that I am Jeff Bowdrin. They call me the Booker. Barry Rose, my co-host. And we are a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Check it out.